Hello everyone, it's Coach Heather from TikTok. You may know or remember me as Coach Heather 904. And welcome to our podcast, Get Happy and Drop the Label. In this podcast, we will discuss healing and recovering from all types of trauma. Trauma does not end at growing up. Healing the trauma starts by talking about it. We make ourselves aware and those who seek the truth will keep seeking the truth. We are fully committed to ourselves and to others at the pursuit of happiness, or we will die trying. And remember, recovery is not one size fits all. With me are my co-hosts, Kyle Johnston and Diamond Morales. And together we make the dream team. And welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Get happy and drop the label. Hello, everyone. This is our podcast, Get Happy and Drop the Label. And we are so excited to have you here with us today. My name is Coach Heather, and some of you may know or remember me from TikTok as Coach Heather904. You can go give me a a like, a follow, or subscribe for some cool stuff, or not. It's all right. Uh, And here with me today are my co-hosts, Kyle Johnston and Diamond Morales. Kyle has his own movement called Drop the Label, and you can go follow his movement at dropthelabel.godaddysites.com. Kyle and I met through uh, TikTok through our struggles from recovery, and Diamond, she does not suffer from any addiction, but she is certified and trained to help people recover from their trauma or their addictions. However, tonight we have a special guest all the way from the state of Michigan, and she is also an author of the book called Life Hacks. You can purchase that book off of Amazon, and she also has her own podcast called Clouded Compass. You you guys can find that on any of the podcast apps and go give her a listen. And so I am going to pass the mic over to Lori and let her introduce herself a little bit more. I am so excited to hear what she has to say. Yay. Hi guys. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> Heather, it's so nice to meet you. Kyle and I have already met. We've um, been around some of the same online groups. He was recently on my podcast. So we're trading seats um, to get the conversation going about recovery. Um, My history is 20 years as an LMSW. I've uh, had some treatment trauma. I've survived suicide. I have an LMSW, four certifications behind my name. I was very professional, uh, successful, and my life behind the scenes was falling apart, not because I had an addiction, but because I was in course treatment for addiction um, that I did not realize. innocently and naively naively volunteered for and then couldn't get out and um it affected my licensure it affected my job it affected my future i was um criminalized and pathologized and thought i would have to give up my license and became a i'm also a coach uh clouded compass i'm on tiktok but i'm really just here to talk about like all the different ways we can do recovery i uh specialize in trauma i find a big overlap and uh, also with neurodiversity. And so I just think that AA is helpful for those it does help, which is 10% or less. 
and what's there for the rest of us there's a whole shit ton of things yeah I was gonna ask you because so in my recovery experience I went to AA and I thought up until about six months ago that you know no mood mind altering substances uh, you have to be 100% abstinent and um, unfortunately my little sister passed away from a fentanyl overdose and that really changed my perspective. So could you elaborate more on what the other, the, now you said 10% or less, could you elaborate on the, what the, sorry, get my words mixed up. Some other things that the 90% of us can do, you know, because that's a pretty big slice of the pie. It is. And I think that we've neglected it. I think we've rolled with the same MO where um, you have to do this. And if it doesn't work, it's your fault. So it's individual failure, which then leads to criminalization. And then what do we do? We don't, we don't reintegrate anybody back in. And so because I deal with trauma, the three basic things that any human needs is um, safety. And I would say internal safety, not, not, you know, is my neighborhood safe? That's great. But internally, a lot of us, are, um, our nervous systems are dysregulated. And so internal safety, we need a sense of belonging. We need to know that we're a part of something greater, which is why actually AA could be very beneficial for people. And then we need a sense of dignity. Unfortunately, AA did not teach me dignity. It actually re-traumatized me back into childhood traumas where it was all my fault. I wasn't good enough. I was um, not trying hard enough. I was... Uh, I needed to amend, you know, I had to adapt myself to the world instead of asking for my needs to be met. And I had to silence my needs in AA. And as a result, uh, I so suffered severe damage. I betrayed myself in a lot of ways. So safety, belonging, and dignity, those are the three baseline human needs. You can get those in a lot of different ways. So many ways. So many ways that existed before AA and far after AA is gone. It's, it's, and, and I want to say this for those, like, cause I, I understand people are going to disagree. I understand people are going to be so connected to uh, their, and I want to call it their faith because they put a lot of faith in this, that it's hard for them to swallow the sound, the sound of the percentage, right? I, I could imagine me a few years ago would have been offended. Because I'm okay. standing in these rooms and all these people, how can you say it only worked? And now I am also <laughs> the defected, right? Like I, like I, de I like I, I defected out of there. Like it was like so this isn't okay. Here, and I felt I'm I'm gonna interrupt that because yes, you're right. Some people would be offended, and they're gonna say you need more treatment, and you haven't been honest, and all of that stuff. And and they have legitimate concerns. So if it's if it's so effective, why are people in and out of rehab so many times over the same 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 Thank thing you. over and over again? Mm. I, I it, and if it is effective, great. But you know what, what, you know what it wasn't all about? It wasn't all about one particular belief. It was about having safety, belonging, and dignity. If you found that in the rooms, that's awesome. There's a lot of rooms to find that in. Right. And, and to continue to put the blame on the individual, right? Because they'll that's keep a, a score. Thing. They'll keep a score for all the victories, right? You know? And but what, about, what about those that they wouldn't count as a victory? It was very difficult for me to be in rooms and I did ask to go to smart recovery meetings instead but 
that was continually denied. It was very hard to sit in rooms as a, as a social worker after I'd listened all day, but that's beside the point, to sit in the rooms and listen to people so ashamed and blaming themselves and, and giving some value to days sober. When in reality, if you really look at a lot of how people live once they get into AA and, and you know find the pink cloud and maybe have recovery as defined by abstinence only, you're gonna find a lot of trauma responses driving their behavior, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn behaviors. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in and been like yelled at in rage because somebody else was so restricted in their own behavior and, and so, so rigid and controlling in their own behavior. And that's really um, great if it works, but you know, when we're wound tight, <laughs> it's really easy to just break that rubber band. Yep. That's recovery yeah. has nothing to do with how many meetings you go to one you know what i'm so <laughs> glad you said that i am so glad so there's this issue that i have right and my issue is where a person states that we need to be reprogrammed um we are not robots right you know we, we're not we're not faulty pieces of equipment we do like we are human beings so being like to address that a person just needs to be programmed more you need to you know have this force into your head and make this a, a part of every movement like how how about no like how about we start focusing on the traumatic experiences that happen as a well, child or a teen th there's no room for that th there's no room for that and to be quite honest i wouldn't want to talk about that with somebody in it, next to me sitting in the rooms however you know if you look at like historically when aa was created we all know it came from religion we all know that there was some morality tied to certain drugs and so when you have that and you have a police system that is designed to find the quote unquote criminal, you're not really invested in people getting well. You're not mm. invested in, even if you look at the religions that are popular in this country, you know, they all have a do this or you won't get into whatever it is that you need to get into heaven, whatever. You know, we're all prepping, we're all, we all have this morality tied to well-being and it's kind of gross. So you said we, you know, they, they claim we need reprogramming and that is absolutely true. I needed to, I call it recalibrate. I needed to, I have my whole entire course online is de uh, dedicated to those of us who really never had a center we, our compass was always either spinning or off course, or we didn't really have a north. That's a trauma thing. That does not have anything to do with what substance I put in. Many times we're putting in a substance to medicate what is dysregulated. So it, we do need a recalibration. We need to learn how we work best, under what circumstances, what doesn't work. Because I'll tell you, a lot of my drinking came from not having good boundaries and not knowing good communication skills. So would you say though, it's an individually based effort? Like it needs to be like, it's, it's not something you can paint an entire group with and do the same thing with, you know what I mean? Like- There is no how, one size fits all. Right. And it's awesome when groups can gather and have like-minded conversations. That is the heart of AA. That is, that is, if it works, that's a big part of it is making connections with other humans. But if you're sitting in a room and you know, they say, um, they have the, some saying about connecting, not comparing. Like, 
I know that I had things in common with the people around me in those rooms. What I also knew is what I had in common with them was not being healed in those rooms. Some of us did not fit that model. 12 steps are a really kind and gentle way to go through the, the, the world. For trauma survivors, it's very re-traumatizing to be told you have to do a step four and you have to make amends to people who have harmed you your entire fucking life. Okay, can you say that a little bit louder for the ones in the back? <laughs> we cannot be taught, well, we can, it just doesn't turn out. Powerlessness is not what we need. If we have experienced trauma, we need empowerment. That is a completely different process. And you cannot continue to, when I was continued to be shoved in a box, I have, I have fit in anybody's box my entire life. That is what led to my drinking. I hated myself for the ways that I betrayed myself for everybody else's comfort. That is not how I'm going to recover. In fact, you're going to shove me deeper into the bottle or, wow. or needle or whatever the case may be, or my diet Coke, for instance, that's an addiction. You just described me in a nutshell. Thank you. Oh, I, I see you sister. I see you. I'm getting goosebumps. This, this is what we need. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I love how Kyle said, let's conversate about this because like everything you, like, okay. So I remember whenever I was getting sober, my sponsor said I had to do the 90 and 90 and I'm such yeah. a fuck up that I decided I should do a 180 and 180. Cause that's how oh, much of a over. fuck up I am. Yeah. And even hurricane Irma didn't stop me from going to AA. I was going to go, but, <laughs> um, anyways, I just really felt like, um, you know, like this one, like that one way of thinking. And, you know, and I remember her drilling into me, like pointing yeah. all her fingers at my face and you're powerless. Yeah, right. yeah. She was like, you, you need to look at it. Like it's a disease. And it's, she told me to imagine a bad guy with a gun holding it up to my face. Okay. So you when you're how traumatizing, that was exactly. So when, when going to a meeting is drilled into you as a life or death, what are you going to do when you're not in the meeting? You think that there's all kinds of bad things happening. So you're going to like hide in whatever your substance was. Oh, if I don't go to the meeting, I'm going to fail. That's most of the time bullshit. I, unfortunately, let me just say this. I, I don't mean that it's bullshit in a bad way. I mean that, yes, we do have horrendous bad things happen when we continue to use substances, some of us. And again, there isn't just one way. And if you, if, if you put a trauma survivor in a corner, they will... They will fight, flight, freeze, or fawn you until they get out. They, you cannot tell us. Well, what those to do. are the people that leave AMA in the middle of the night after yes. having a situation that happens. Those are the people that are found isolated in their room. Everyone's wondering why they don't come out, why they don't hit meetings. <laughs> like when you live in that culture, like Monday through Friday, I so I had a sponsor where, and a few of them, where it was like I was a slut to them what? i would yes yes oh i would walk into the room as we get ready and the meeting would start filling up and my sponsor will stop and be like hey y'all ladies over there don't talk to him he's a slut he's a bum he's a bad father he's not around his kid oh my I mean, God. Like, and this was religiously right? done to me over and over and one time and one I, man i remember this like it was like a movie like one time he, he slut shamed me 
for, for things that I haven't even done in months because I've been doing the whole program, right? Like in months, I haven't done these things. And he continued to put me down for past behaviors. And I, and I paused and I raised my hand and he says, what do you want, slut? This meeting was like 60 something people. My jaw and I, is open. And I said but... his name and I said, I want you to understand something. I said, you will never a day in your life speak to me the way you've been speaking to me since I got here. I said, I don't understand what it is I'm supposed to do after I've worked the steps and I'm doing the program and you yes. still take the past and throw it in my face and shame me in front of everyone. I said, I do not appreciate it. And I would appreciate it if you stopped. And the whole room was quiet because this is one guy you don't say that to. You don't speak to this guy this way. He's, you know, right. he's, that, he's that 23 year old vet of recovery. And he said, I apologize for doing that. And he kept going. And then after that, it was like, like half the crowd walked away from me. You know, I would be interested to see a study that looks at AA meeting dynamics in other countries versus the US because that is a very cultural thing for us to need to feel like we need to one up you. Cause if we don't, if we don't one up you, we're not, you know, we're like sort of part of the food chain too. But this power dynamic, this gaslighting that happens in AA, I, I genuinely believe that probably wasn't there in the beginning. In fact, they used to, you know, go to somebody's house and bring them liquor to, you know, ward off the shakes. I think, unfortunately, humans not having their issues addressed are going to harm other humans, whether you have substances involved or not. Okay. And that's, it's just toxic. And you're sticking right. everybody in there when it's legally required and depend like people have their children depending on if they're going to a meeting or not in the legal system that's gross that's gross you want to know another gross thing there was a, a matriarch in there and i remember her telling me well two gross things one she said it was my fault that i was raped number two she was telling me she was like you know heather your son he's almost old enough to stay at home and babysit for you so you can come to a meeting do you want to know how old my son is <laughs> Oh my God. He's nine. He is not almost old enough to stay home with my two-year-old child and babysit. Right. That made me sick. I'm like, if that's how you want to work your AA, that's cool. Yeah. But you're, you're telling a lot of young mothers that and making them feel right. at some type of way, if they don't leave their kids at home to make an AA meeting, they're going to fucking drink and die. I, I just don't like that. You know, they, and I just, they say I think, it's a spiritual program, but what they really want you to do is have grit and bear through everything they tell you to do. Well, if you look at historically religion, it's the Protestant work ethic. It's I was just reading an article today how capitalism still has like a lot of the things that our brand of capitalism have in it are from the slave trade days. And so when you're look when you're in a culture like that, is. it is going to come out in the you know when you're under threat, you're going to bring out all the the vices that you have. And when you when you're a sponsor that's taught that if you don't sponsor somebody, your sobriety is online, you're really gonna try real hard to get them to fall in line. Maybe falling in line isn't what a trauma survivor needs. They've been falling in fucking line their whole life and, and that did not work out so well. Exactly. Mm. So, <laughs> so much of my life. I, I wanna keep going on, on them, but I just let it be known. Anyone that feels differently than this, we would love to have a very safe and healthy conversation and valid points will come up. I'm sure it will, but it's like, I get it. A lot of us made it into those rooms in a way that wasn't on my idea, but mm -hmm. I went there and you know what? And over time, 
because the human being, like the soul is resilient, like yes. we're resilient. That's why we continue to go because we do want something different. But I found out at the end that I can be more loving and I can be more open and I can be more caring. And I don't have to look at people like they're a cootie. And if they're not acting or doing a certain thing, I'm going to catch what they have. You can't catch addiction from another person. And something else I want to say too, please stop calling people addicts. That is a person that had suffered through a time of addiction. Please yes. use their first name. Call them a human being. Let's like this is I I I listen. It's unbelievable. The lay. Oh my God, the label. Like it kills me because when you hear a collection of say, you hear a collection of people at a conference speaking, how easy it is for them to call a collection of people addicts. You know, well the addict does this and the addict does that. And I, like, will you stop separating them from humanity? These are human my, beings. My psychiatrist at an elite university psychiatry school escalated my diagnoses because I was, you know, I'm just looking at back to all the readings. I was quote unquote non-compliant. I was quote unquote refusing. He neglected my concerns the whole way. Like we are, there is no person that is strictly good or bad. Like I, any religion you look at says that, but we have this idea in AA that abstinence equals sobriety or recovery abstinence equals um you know the ability to get through the day every day and this neurodiverse person sometimes quite frankly didn't have the spoons for that and needed to use substances to survive and i had my own spiritual experience in the hospital maybe someday i'll talk about that but it very clearly reflected that i cannot survive if i don't listen to what's best for me i can no longer afford to listen to your version of what my life needs to look like. That, that opinion. Diamond raised her hand. What's up, Diamond? She's muted. Hi. Okay. There so she is. I, sorry, my, my baby is sick, so it's been a roller coaster. Um, but I had a question, and this is this is only because Lori, I'm so invested in what you're saying. So it has nothing to do with what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just invested in what you're saying. So you had just used the slave trade as an example. And I love that example. And it made my little wheels turn. So on here, we, a lot of the time, like we talk about the fact, like I've never struggled from like a specific addiction. And I really like to use like the Coke example of addiction. Cause that's how I'm getting my nails done. So what I was wondering yeah. is how do you, how, what do you think about, some of the like even how Kyle is like don't call me an addict how sometimes people don't feel it until it's about them so like even the overturn of Roe versus Wade and mm -hmm. kind of more so like the white population slash how it's it's never a thing until kind of like a white woman is going through it not even so much a white man because yeah, right. there's like this there's like this commonality <laughs> that white woke. men don't really roar but white women if you take their starbucks away now they're ready to fight you so like what are, what are your like opinions on that because i have found though that sometimes it's like you can sh you can literally explain to somebody how something is so common as a minority, whether you're Hispanic, Native American, like you can explain that to them. And it's like, they won't understand it. But then as soon as like they have a trauma in their life and they turn that trauma into something 
extremely negative, such as their parent passes away. Next thing you know, they're an alcoholic. Next thing you know, they're, they're using drugs and they use like that one specific trauma as like the example that like catapulted everything else, but they don't give that same luxury to like other people who have gone through severe things, such as you grow up in a poverty stricken area. You grow up in a one parent household. You grow up where, you know, you were molested by a family member. It's like, now that's too extreme. Like, do you get what I'm saying? I do. I do. Um, sorry, I lost internet for a minute. So I'm trying to wrap up. I really could honestly believe that I could have a whole year's worth of podcasts on what our issues are as white females. However, I don't speak for all of them, but I've really been so fascinated by how we have gone and reverted a little bit. And if you, again, I'm a trauma specialist, so I see the world through the lens of trauma. And if you if you look at us, we, we like to disassociate. We like to have a top-down hierarchical approach. I read, a, there's a really good book about America called CAST, C-A-S-T-E, that compares our system to India and um, one other one, I can't remember which one. But the point of my story is we, it's like a trauma response to disassociate, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so we are going to fight, even in, in my own um, historical families, I'm not going to be specific. There is a history of shocking bad things happening in a family, but I'm poor, rural, white, working class. So that's acceptable, right? But we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And I guarantee you anybody higher than me income-wise ain't going to talk about it either. Why? Because there is this American perception that you're not allowed to be a victim. Because if you look at, again, if you look at the back in the slave I, I don't, I'm, I'm not the best educator on this, but in the slave time, you couldn't work. You didn't have value. So you're really messing with production if you are outside of the box in terms of a mom needing childcare in today's time, or you know somebody who's trying to homeschool their kid and go to a $15 an hour job. And you're wondering why we have poor man's vacations, but addictions don't just happen at that lower level. They do happen at the, the upper echelons. They just look different. We have, there's more resources to cover them up and there's more resources to treat them. So I don't know if I answered your question. I guess I would just wonder like, what would you, how would you, cause I feel like the way that you explain things is extremely well. How would you explain that to like a listener who doesn't realize that that's how judgmental they are in their own addiction like even though you are um recovering through addiction that you're not superior because I Uh, have worked with women especially white women especially who they have literally looked me in my face and not only am I more educated than them to be quite frank, I'm not an addict, but they felt more entitled than me. And I'm just right, like, right. you're sitting in my chair. At this point, I wouldn't, there's nothing conscious about this in my perception. There's nothing conscious about a white woman's reaction to somebody of a different skin color. For many, DNA, genetic wise, we have adapted into like an aversion. I am speaking for me. These are my only my opinions. However, We've also been 
adapted DNA wise to protect the sort of the white male status. And if you look, we've been protecting white males so much that they don't even know how to really handle their emotion. So they're out, you know, mass shooting in high school. Probably going to get myself in trouble here talking. However, um, sounds good. Keep going. You just keep going. I think white women really, we, white women have a responsibility in today's time to really look at the role that we have played in both the help and the harm, because there's also white saviorism, right? Like first, I'm not going to lie, the first few years of my profession, I thought I was going to fix everybody. That is not my fucking job. My job is to offer resources. And if you have resources, that is a human relationship. So if you are someone who has succeeded, I, you know, I have two businesses. I am capitalist. I am not a toxic capitalist. I have two businesses. And if you're going to succeed in my business as an employee, I need you to succeed because if you don't succeed, I don't succeed. And if you do better, I do better. If we could consider and tolerate marinating on that, we wouldn't be so, we've been so programmed to be afraid of losing what we have. Because if we lose what we have, we won't have our social status anymore, right? If I lose my recovery, I'm going to be that poor bad mom again who's lazy and can't take care of her kids. Well, that's a big, huge risk, life and death emotionally. So I don't even know if I wouldn't be mean to somebody. I would hope I wouldn't. But I also don't have kids on the line. I also don't have an income on, you know, I don't have, a white woman has a lot to lose, but her addictions are more socially tolerated, right? Mom needs to go to take a nap. You know, mom's stealing her ADD, uh, ADHD medication. You know, mom is, you know, she can't pick me up because she's at home. She's tired, she's ill. We don't make those kind of compensations for anybody below our, my status. No, that was like the perfect answer, wow. especially that last scenario. Cause like I, it might've been two weeks ago. I, I basically told Heather the same thing, like, it's not a thing until a white lady gets mad. And as soon as a white lady gets mad, but he, that's you know what? when you're going to see it change. We have such a role to play because if, if we white women realize we have absolutely just as much state in survival as everybody below us, like this Roe v. Wade thing, I want us agitated. I want us mad because maybe our dis it will snap us out of our disassociation. I don't have a daughter, but if I had a daughter, I would. I, I, it would occur to me that her schoolmates maybe are struggling. You know what I'm saying? Like I would make an effort and then right. it would, it could totally shift things politi politically. You, but when I hear know, talk about politics. And you know what? Right. And I don't want to get into, I'm like, this isn't going to be, look. Right. <laughs> I, I was, I sit back and I watch. All right. And I, I, my heart bleeds. Okay. I want, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind that, the, the creator of the world is going to see that I'm so wanting this things to change. I'm going to be imbued with power and then I'm going to be able to stop everything that's happening. Right. I know that that's not, I don't know. Is it going to happen? I don't know. Maybe it happens tonight. We can all pray. Right. But <laughs> I'm watching everything happen and I'm watching the most, the majority of white women playing dress up. Okay. So now they're taking, yeah, now they're taking stand, but taking other people's ideas and movements that have already happened yes. and adding it to their repertoire so they can speak louder. And it's almost like we got all these women of color and different races looking at them like, where are you been? I'm, they, there are so many 
amazing books I've written by black women. And I, I have on social media been accused of um, hijacking somebody's idea. I just want to say like, that is, uh, first of all, that's never my intention. But second of all, I'm sharing these ideas because people are not aware that these amazing, brilliant minds have been fucking working their asses off for 40, 50 years. Like there's some, um, like my biggest hero is Angela Davis. Like I don't, if, if I don't have heroes outside of my own skin color, that is very sheltered because quite frankly, again, like I just can't afford to keep my mouth shut anymore. Like it is, it's sad. It's sad, but I have, I, I struggle with that. I've been accused uh, and native Alaskans. Um, I refer to native American philosophy a lot in my work. I, I lived with native Alaskans in the bush for five years. I very much value their culture. I want us to know some of their ways because some of their ways kept them alive 2000 years, despite our interventions in their work, in their world, telling them that they were heathens. Like, come on, that's, they, they have, there's some amazing things out there. We do not need to work that hard for solutions. When it comes to recovery, simply looking at the financial formula is all we need to do to understand that this is a flawed way of getting to the solution, but we don't want the solution. We want a Band-Aid. And I know that because I've been putting Band-Aids on people for 20 years in systems that are frankly crumbling. And they always defend the system because I have said this so many times, how the system itself needs to be updated or disassembled and another one created. And it's almost like I killed, you know, it's almost like I took someone's life. The well, way they I'm, a, I'm an abolitionist and that's making me enemies with a lot of my old peers, unfortunately. But there is, there is a need to update what we're doing. And I want to be very, very clear here. I worked in the system for 20 years. We, the people in the systems, just like the people gaslighting others in the meetings are not bad people. It's, it's that we are so on autopilot, we cannot interrupt our response or even know we're in one enough for those new thoughts to come in. I mean, if I don't have to think about what to do about walking in an aisle with somebody whose skin color is different than me, if I don't have to think about my response, I just get, you know, I go by the aisle real fast and I stand there and I'm so oblivious. The other day I was in a very, um, I went to a, an art fair in a town that has some money. And like, <laughs> there was this family that just stopped in the middle of the sidewalk, white, like me, cause I'm white and I was there and I'm like, and we just, it, like, how oblivious are we that you can't even notice you're obstructing movement, but that's where we're at. <laughs> we're like, we, okay. So I just walked around them and I'm like, that's what every fucking else does in this country. We just walk around them. <laughs> I walk right through them. I am <laughs> such you, a I mess you were gonna say because so I'm like just that. like the entitlement that you have Right. If you think that you can stand in the middle of the sidewalk, I am not moving <laughs> and you know what? that is annoying. <laughs> it just honestly occurred to me today. So I've, I'm uncovering some neurodiversity and, and sensory processing and um, just some, some things that I've been masking my whole life, but it, it suddenly connected the dots for me. I have always felt like an outsider my entire life because I have been, even though I've been told I'm not, even though I worked hard to be in the middle circles and be, you know, went to a really good school and I have the, had the decent income there. We all have that part of us. Some of us are not, we don't need to tap into that part, but you know what? 
everybody out there who's listening to this podcast right now, I want you to hear me. The parts of you that make you different are your mother fucking assets that kept your ass alive. So let's learn how to use them in a way that doesn't hurt you as much because the inner rebel in all of us needs a revolution. Man, I'm about to go outside right now and then turn around. <laughs> I'm telling you, I I, sw- I swear, um, our our we recorded the other night and our guest stated that um, you don't have to earn it. No. And and that's the first time I've been told my whole recovery life: stop asking why, stop asking why, just go right. with the flow. All this other stuff. So I don't. Man, when she said that. I cr- man, do you know I haven't stopped crying? Like I'm only not crying now because I'm with my people. But it's like, I'm like, you don't have to earn it. Didn't nobody tell me that about you know saying ha- having a, a a spiritual belief or recovery? You know how many people feel like they have to earn their support when? It- but that's again, that's that's our country. That's how we're taught. You don't whatever. Listen, if you've survived some of the things half the shit I have or any of my clients have by default, you have the right to exist and breathe and take up space and build empowerment, which comes from learning new knowledge, gaining new skills and practicing new skills, which is why I hundred percent don't support abstinence unless the person wants to, because if you're not practicing, you're not getting on a bike and trying new things and failing sometimes and learning what works how are you going to know how to do it when somebody isn't there with training wheels? Recovery shouldn't be taught by relapses. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be measured by relapses or time. Recovery is like a fluent thing. It's just an ocean. It's water. It never it stops is. running. It, 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 it kills me. You have a person go six years, 12 yeah. years. They have a drink. See, And all of a sudden, everything they picked up in that time gets demoted to shit. Right. In what world have you, I, this is my realization. In what world have I been abstinence from any fucking behavior more than 30 days? (laughs) I I have have been on psych meds for 20 years. I've been over-medicated and you're telling me that I'm going to ruin my life by picking up a substance. Yes, it's harmful. Do you know what the side effects are of of the psych meds I've been on? Do you know what the side effects are working 40 hours in a job I hate because I can't afford to not work there and I'm in a toxic environment? Or do you know what the side effects are of being gaslighted at AA while you're terrified of losing your fucking kids and you don't have a choice about it? That, that honestly, that makes me suicidal again. Please, can we, can because we're close enough to where we can start. I want to pro, I want to, I want to stand outside one AA meeting a month or week and protest that it changes his ways and they can be as angry as they want to be because I am I'm I'm so I'm at a a clinic today right working at a clinic and I get and I'm seeing that but I'm in Cleveland now like I'm kind of like I'm like secretly back in Cleveland under the disguise of a counselor and like people are coming in there for services and when they see me they're like like, oh Kyle and I'm like (laughs) hi and they're like, where have you been? I'm like, I got away. Like, I got all the way away. Like, but I'm here to help, you know? Like, and then they tell me the story of how they were made to feel because they missed a meeting or they didn't call seven days a week 
or they ended up going and spending time with a, a woman or a man, or they told the director that they were tired and needed sleep. Like, oh, God forbid, after six days of detox, that you have to go do a whole kitchen shift. Like, people need, like, I'm telling you, man, like, I used to be like, wait, so seven days detox down to the dorm. Now I got a kitchen shift, a night walk, now, and I got a clean toilet. It's free labor. Because it's free labor. But everyone says, well, they got through it and look at them now. And it's oh, yeah. like, you use these sayings like watch well your beginnings. But when I'm watching well of my beginnings and I and I and I stand up and I and I cross talk to someone and express how what they're saying is wrong and harmful, right. I'm the problem because I'm being selfish. So what that did for me was threw me back into childhood when I had to keep my mouth shut and I knew what was going on wasn't healthy, right? Like I couldn't say anything, but it was so dehumanizing to be forced to wait till the end of the meeting to get my paper signed. And I remember one time I had some legal document had to be signed and she, you know, this person signing and who doesn't know me from, you know, Adam, just give me all, like, question me, like, Ooh, do I deserve to have her signature? Like, I am not here for you. I can't tell you my thoughts. And what I'd like to say when you said, um, you know, AA, you want to uh, protest outside of it. Like, I just, I feel like AA is, sort of like the white man's version of recovery, like the literally the privileged white man. I mean, that's, it was started by one. It is not work for everybody else because we're not privileged white males. And, and I don't mean that to say it can't work. It, it can be a very warm and inviting program, but you know, when you're not for somebody who's going to tell, like my sponsor would say, I remember I was at her house at a meeting for character defects. And I was like, why don't they call them character assets? These things save my ass. Like, I just, what, like, you can't, you just can't question it. And I don't, my, my, <laughs> my biology does not work. I have to ask why. I'm pretty sure that our last two guests also said the same thing that AA is more better suited for privileged white males. But even then, the only reason it works for them, well, okay, there's a number of reasons, but you know what the white men that I have seen it work for is the working hard man who was, you know, lived, maybe was at his factory job for 30 years or the golfers who make a friend they can golf with outside of AA or get away from their wives or whatever. But every homeless white male that I was attending meetings with, it was not working for. God, I wonder why because they had some other needs that they weren't being met. So the so that 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 idea of like hey, you can't work for however long or you can't do this for however long or even though you have the right to see your kids, you can't see them like they will remove and I won't even say all of they, right? We know who they are, but those people who are leading with ego and not spirit, right? Like they are removing time time away from a person being with friends and family because right. it's based off of a rhetoric that you're not ready yet and that's not so imagine if they went into the the book not even the book the book is what the book is fine imagine they go into the these the the steps and and they updated them to put it to to forcibly put in restraints against people that are doing this by ego and not by heart. Cause then when somebody's being mistreated, you got a whole meeting that's been learning trauma informed care. You got a whole meeting that's been learning ethics. Hey, 
that ain't okay. You gotta, like, oh, it makes, like, I just, because it did help me. But now that I'm, I've, now that my knowledge has grown past the point of allowing myself to continue to be victimized, I will not stand up and allow people to punch on me. But then at the same time, as I'm, I'm not allowing people to punch on me, I'm not going to watch you punch on my brother too. Because right. I grew up watching my siblings be beat on. I have so many updated versions of 12 Steps that I would love to develop. Send but you know what? Me. I don't want to, I don't really want to promote that. There's so many women out there coming forward. Um, Holly Whitaker, Annie Grace. Um, I, there's several, uh, Heather's a recovery, co- or not a recovery coach, but you're a coach now, right? Like there's so many amazing people who have done what they needed to do differently. And we just don't hear about it. 75% or more of people naturally age out of their addiction. Why are we not talking about that? Why are we not talking about the fact that women with the history of trauma tend to fail out of restrictive, punitive-based programs? And to say that means that anybody falling below a woman, essentially a white woman, isn't going to do well either. Why? Because they're fucking disempowered further. Imagine if we just had a collection of recovery pathways i mean like it should be as easy as looking at a neighbor that yes it should be as easy as looking at a neighbor but here's hey, the issue you got with that. sugar i got cream you know like <laughs> we should be sharing information with different pathways if you notice somebody's yes. not doing too well in aa you'd be like hey i understand you're struggling here but you know i got this dude over here in smart recovery in fact you ever heard of mat maybe like it shouldn't be like it's like God forbid this doesn't work for me and I, I want to try something else. In this course program, I needed four worksite monitors in a job that I had never once had a problem in. And I remember like I developed with just exactly what you're talking about, this like two page list. And I was working in doctor's offices with behavioral health and I would be like, oh, you've been to AA, how's it going? Oh, it's not going well. Hey, here's a sheet of paper. Let me know how these work for you, right? Like, but you can't, here's the issue. That's great. I, I totally am for all of these extra recoveries. The judge doesn't care because they're still AA based. The um, addiction psychiatrist doesn't fucking care because they're still AA based. And there, many uh, states tell us we are required to be recovery oriented systems of care. But I'm putting in a complaint at this university because this physician, can, this physician who has an ethical duty to uphold recipient rights was so um, biased and and in bed with this program, it, it cost me a suicidal hospitalization. And I, he wouldn't, he discharged me because he had a disagreement with what I was asking for and told, telling him I needed. It should be no client's responsibility to tell their provider that they need something different. We need providers that are more educated as well. And there's money to be had in addictions, specifically with one program, because again, it's a really good financial model. If you go into recovery, you ask a family to spend $100,000, which we all know poor people don't have, and then they fail. So guess what they need? More of the same? Oh, you don't say. Who's making money off that? Not the person trying to get their ass unharmed almost said clean and i wanted to stop myself because that's not right good job harm reduction right (laughs) (laughs) they're just trying to get safety in a bed and you're raping them it's 
I worked in detox for two years. And I, I was very happy to see people that, you know, left and came back, right? Or they took off, came back, or finished, were gone out there for a little bit, doing recovery, then all of a sudden they disappeared and came back. But what was astonishing to me, and I always pointed this out, and nobody would talk about it with me, <laughs> is that we had we had the intake book, the intake and discharges, right? They called it the Bible. And I mean, it was this big black book and it had every client we ever had dated back years, okay? So I would look at this book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it by, by race, the, the, the ratio, okay? Caucasian, 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 mm. two Latinos, Caucasian, Caucasian, one old black man, Caucasian, 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 two black people, Caucasian, Caucasian, yep. Spanish man, Caucasian, Ca I mean, and it was like this, it was, that was it, that's, that was, that was the readout. Okay. Yep. They never would allow one Spanish person in there. There would always be two to four. Um, and they would never allow uh, black men or women to be in there at the same time. Like it was what? just like, dude. Wait. Yes. Are you saying they weren't, weren't sort of coming in because the, the center didn't want that population? It's how they, it's how they separated Okay. The, 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 what they provided. And it was almost like it regulated how the floor would hold up. Okay. So okay. it was just kind of like, but that was like the filter system because I, I mean, I did it for two years. Well, I put, I'm sitting here. I put my all in it and I, and it would blow my mind who, who was coming See, in. Here's, here's my red flag that you're pulling up. You're, you're telling me there's small African-American population, right? I know that there's more people struggling than two or three or maybe four black um, African-Americans in a month. Right, which begs the question, how are, how are they surviving? We're not. No, well, okay, yes, there's I mean, that. like, we are. But I'm not going to be, like, I want to be dramatic. Can, we, can then, we at least focus on the value of family in African-American and Latino, in Latino communities? in terms of at some times the sort of wraparound approach that can happen. Now, we all know that with African-American males, they have a lot of things going on. There's a lot of reasons they die. If I were an African-American male, I don't think I'd wanna to go to a detox and be sort of quote unquote locked up when I didn't have to be. It's like, I don't and this think, is what makes I things, on, go ahead. That's, so like, I worked at a MAT program with Kyle, different location, but I don't like, I understand where you're going with it, but I would actually have to like disagree okay. with the wraparound of the African-American and more than the Hispanic. And because yes, for sure in Hispanic families, generationally, you could have three or four generations living in a household In an African-American house. It's not like that. The thing is the benefit, it's the resource isn't there. If you go there and you say, this is my issue, this is my concern, this is my problem, CPS is going to get called on you faster. Ah, yes. <laughs> it's going to get, it's going to, yes. it's, it's that, so, it's that stigma that you can, you know, Heather and I can go to the same place. Heather is going to receive more right. services than I am. And I and think that that's yeah. what has happened in the African-American community, especially. So those programs have almost become jail in itself. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, well, and so to, go there. 
to go that to, to go where you're going, I would imagine too, like if I had a felony in my history, I wouldn't be wanting to show up to anywhere that's going to be controlling my movement. So now we're talking about a cultural thing that's very special to America, which is our punitive approach and pathologizing of social inacceptability. So the policing that we have in CPS, in the addiction community, in schools, in the legal system, we have a very large, you know, a very long history of policing certain populations more than others, as we know, hopefully we know that at least, and can acknowledge that. And we also then have, right, again, the caste system, the hierarchy, like, well, you're, don't deserve our services. And even Salvation Army drives me insane. Well, you got to pray before you get food. Really? How about I pray that you ask me not to pray? I'm Muslim. Or, you know, whatever, like, it's ridiculous. Like, the poorer you are, the more hoops you have to jump through. That is so not sustainable as a society. And if you notice, we're not really surviving a lot. Some of us. Some of us are. I, uh, we're, we're aware that I stand up and I speak up about this stuff. And I had actually recently was asked by a, and I'll call him a friend. And I was asked to go lead at this meeting a few weeks back. Yeah, um, how'd that go? Right. Oh, it, it was glorious. Okay, look, the people that I spoke up against showed up wanting to shut the meeting down. In fact, <gasps> they were ready. They had their phones out. And the main character that I spoke up against with things he's been doing, he addressed that how he was going to record and go live as he did his comment to my, to my lead. So it became this big controversial thing. I still got to lead, okay? So I led. And I got, and, and I led, I told my story from, from beginning to where I'm at today. And awesome. it was just like, but my thing is the, what the, the, the scuffs and all this, and like a person that I knew coming in, that was a nurse that helped, you know, she was a caring nurse, this loving nurse, but she stood up and she looked and she's like, you know, I heard about what you're doing and, you know, I'm not going to put too much on it. She's like, but you know, in the program, they say that we come in and we see saw fighting. And my and and what I wanted to do was was communicate with her, so we stopped fighting to the point where we allow ourselves to be mistreated. Right, be, I'm not a doormat anymore. That's what recovery is. Down to, but you know who did speak up in a positive way? The men and women sitting in there that are like, we have been waiting for someone to stand up for us for the longest time. We all talk about the abuse and the shame that we get, and no one can say anything because of who's in charge and where we live. This one, this one woman stood up and she said, I was ready to leave tonight. But because of what you said, I'm going to stay because I don't have anywhere else to go on top of I don't want to go back to that life. But she's like, my support group talks to me in such a horrible way that it makes me want to take my life. So those people that get offended because we talk about this stuff, it doesn't help a person stay in recovery if you belittle them and shame them. It doesn't help a person find motivation to wake up and do life again if you tell them, you shame them about every mistake. Like, we need, like, it just needs to be addressed. And this is happening everywhere that AA is represented because, like, you talking to me, I, I mean, like, the people, people on TikTok, we're located all over the planet. And yeah. people are like, man, it happens here too. And I'm like, what? Like, this is, not okay. And they say, well, it's not the program, it's the people. And I said, well, your system is yeah, it's failing the people. people. How do you report AA? Like, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. It was an open meeting. But I love it. See, my inner rebel would be like, oh, you don't like what I have to say? Get your camera out. Let's go. Because that's exactly what helped me survive. I feel like AA is the fear-based recovery and harm reduction is the love-based recovery. Like you can choose one or the other, but you know. And, I, and, I, and abstinence is part of harm reduction. And if a person chooses to go be. that route, then great. But it's like, you don't have to be chained. You, recovery is so free that you do not have to be chained to one certain type of brand. You get Amen to eat to all cereals here. Like you just get to enjoy we, learning. What we need to really let's get clear about what recovery is. I mean, we can talk about that for a whole episode, but recovery is not like, uh, you know, the proof that you cannot use a substance. The recovery is asking why you're using the substance, what the fuck the relationship and meaning of it is. And why are you going that far? Like, what is it about being present that is so hard? And so many of us can't be present. Look, you tell me I have an addiction to, to X, Y, and Z. Okay, fine. Everybody we know goes home at night and binges in front of the TV with food that jacks up their dopamine so that they crave the food again. They gain weight. They, they go, we're addicted to a lot of things. We're always addicted to a lot of things. We always have been addicted to a lot of things. What about our life sucks so much that we don't want to be in it? That it, we, when you are talking about that camera, that is a moment where if we can, if we can nestle your rebel, you know, your inner rebel, and it, that is a golden opportunity to um, exercise agency. I will thought about this many times. I, I, I have been harmed over and over and over again by certain people. Do you know what they don't have? They don't have my insights. They cannot access that part of me that my rebel kept alive that said, I'm gonna live despite what you do to me, just watch. And that to me, that's recovery. Like knowing that I am not powerless and that there are ways to do life that fit me and saying no to some of the things that harmed me. That is the, that's a reclamation. That's, that's more than recovery. So Heather has been so shaking her head all this time and she's so quiet. Heather, what are your thoughts? I just agree with a lot of things that you say, I guess, because you're a trauma survivor. So um, a lot of, uh, a lot of things you say, um, I'm nodding in agreement. like, you know, like I feel you or um, um, uh, one thing you said, like how people are addicted to everything you know, and again, like that just goes to back to where I don't like how AA tells pe people like there's just this one way. And I didn't even know what harm reduction was until I met right? Kyle. I never even heard of that. You know, I don't, I didn't know that was a thing, you know, like Can I tell you, I've worked <laughs> my whole career and nobody told me I was doing harm reduction. <laughs> like, I don't even know how that was missed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like it, I'm it's, still learning it, it's what it is. Like, that, like, like I've never heard of it. It's, yeah. it's almost like it's God for like, okay. It's almost like the, this country itself is like, we don't let them know about the cures that work. We let them know about the, the cures that work sometimes because they want to keep us going, right? You keep, stay sick, stay in keep treatment. Consuming. 
Keep, yes, completely. Yeah, keep consuming. Um, you you he, have people that go in the detox. They they get through detox six seven days, and then they go into treatment. Something happens. They leave, and then they're back in detox a week later. Like, how often can you bill insurance? You know, it's like anything they can do to pull right. money out of a person. Do you know that there are natural ways? I'm sure not under the influence, but in general, there are natural ways to calm your body. Mm -hmm. um that we just aren't taught why aren't we taught because a they're free unless you buy a course to learn how to do them but you know we have been saving our own asses for for eons you're telling me that alcohol is going to destroy me i'm telling you life in the world has destroyed me i don't want to participate in that anymore like i do drink alcohol on occasion i'm not afraid of it we've i've i've, I've healed that relationship just the way I've healed the relationship with my mom to the best of my ability. And I still tolerate her in small doses, right? Like we all have to go back to a family that's harming us. We all have to go back to some workplaces that harm us. The key is how can we not harm ourselves more than the world harms us? You know, we have that resilience. There's so many books and so many people talking about it, all kinds of free videos on TikTok now. And so there's so much hope even if you feel, if you, so many bad things happen. That's a fact of life. But if you're not looking at what good is happening, you're not giving yourself a fair chance. I like that. You really need to focus on the good. And Kyle, for those that you say offend, I have a really, like I have a, my own mantra that says, I, I'm going to allow you your re reaction. Like, I'm going to allow you your reaction in, internally. Like, I'm going to accept your reacting. I'm going to allow myself that same gift. Like, I get to have a reaction just the same way I'm allowing you to. Because if I don't allow myself to react the way you're reacting, then I'm like, I'm not being nice to myself. I'm deferring my power to you. So, like, we can disagree. That is totally fine. You know, when like you try to be, okay, I try to, I do my best to be non-argumentative, non-violent, non-threatening, all these non-things, because as soon as I get angry ah. and I, and I growl or I grunt or I share some, show some tears or something, yeah. you know, up oh, there, he, he's off his rocker, you know, the angry black man. And it's just like, why, why can't I be angry and the fact that people are being mistreated and no one is no one of of influence is truly listening to do anything about it. You know, I'm struggling with my role in that in terms of using the privilege that I have and not using the privilege. But what I'm going to say to that um, is that some black some other black man needs to see you utilize your anger in. I guess I, I don't really want to qualify, but I would say a healthy way, like just use your anger and like watch what changes that make. It doesn't mean that you have to use your anger, but somebody else is watching you model things. All that is to say is that if you're not modeling the whole spectrum of being human, you are then performing. So yup, it, it, Harm is going to come whether we try to avoid it or not, but we harm ourselves when we don't allow ourselves to express the full spectrum of all that we are. Like, I think we need, you know, we need to make calculated decisions about that, 
but how am I to know that my anger isn't saving somebody else's life? Like, I don't get to know somebody's reaction to me calling out some things tonight. You know, I don't, I don't get to know, like I, you can be angry, you can be upset to be hopeful, right? Like I, that's not for me to know my, my job for myself is to suit up and show up the best way that I know how for my life. Because if I don't live my life, if I'm held hostage by my life, it's not a life, it's an imprisonment. And addiction is an imprisonment. I don't want to live there anymore. I want to live an authentic, genuine, this is me. We should all be expressing all parts of ourselves and have the safety to do so. So obviously you're going to know when you're not safe to do so because your body's going to tell you. Mm -hmm. This is going to probably rub some people the wrong way. And I have watched a few seminars and a few lectures and a few doctor-led you know discussions and it's just like this idea that once an addict always an addict yeah i know i know that i should never in my life touch heroin again okay that was a devastating time for me other than that I'm at a place in my life where I, if I, I don't, I don't, I'm not scared to be abstinent. I choose to be abstinent. I choose, I have a choice. You, I don't, you know, I don't live by, I don't live by these rules that were created to bind me. Like I choose. And then it's yes. like the idea that if I say this out loud, I'm going to be ushering people out the door. You know, I was told with what I share that I'm killing people. I'm like, so me, me, right. me expressing that people should stand up for themselves and not be shamed and not be judged killing people. Well, you're ushering people away from AA. No, I, I'm threatening to be known that when people walk into AA, they know what negative things to watch out for. I love that suddenly now people dying is all your responsibility. <laughs> yes. I, I love how they put that on you. Always an addict. I'm confused. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I, so I, go ahead. Historically, addiction would uh, believe that once you had an allergy to this, quote unquote, because that wasn't even science, that you wouldn't be able to use it again or you would be right back where you started. We know that's not true. We know that's not true by the heroin in the Vietnam War that they did studies on and came back and those people reintegrated into life with the safety, belonging, and dignity that I was talking about earlier. So we know scientifically that that's not true, but the addiction community continues to promote this myth that once and if you use a substance, it's a life or death, you can never unlearn those behaviors. And that is just scientifically not true. And so it's okay if you believe that, that's what you need to believe for you, but maybe it's not what I need to believe. So how about, so like myself personally, I, cause like, obviously I never have had anyone talk to me in that manner. So like, I've kind of always viewed it as I do think once an addict, always an addict, but like, I feel like that about literally everything. Like, even if you're a sex addict, like not to the extent where you shouldn't watch porn more so like because you've had that addiction, like you still have to cater yourself away from that, whatever that might be. So like, I've always viewed it like that. So like, I do like to talk to people about what are the, you know, what are the coping skills that we need to kind of like implement so that when shit hits the fan, well, you don't resort back to this. Right. But you're also teaching them skills. So once an addict, okay. So what I'm just going to say one word, neuroplasticity. 
there's a really good study about children called the ACEs study, which talks about like, you know, how much trauma they endured as a child. And the idea is that that impacts their, their well-being later in life. And it does, it leads to chronic illness and all that stuff. However, if we think about once an addict, always an addict through the lens of like the ACEs study. So you're telling me that if I was abused at the age of five, that I can never unlearn the response to that. If you imagine your brain, like, okay, so addiction is like this sort of well-worn pathway in your brain. So you're always going to be at risk of falling back into that pathway. But the more skills you use, the more behaviors you practice, the more, honestly, positive thinking, which everybody has an issue with, positive thinking rewires your brain. If you do gratitude lists every day for 30 days, your brain will be more receptive to the positive things happening in the world. And so when you get into an addiction what it basically means is that your mind is just on autopilot. It needs it. This is what it, you know, this is how you stimulate dopamine. This is how you relieve the suffering. And it's so well-worn in that path that it just isn't aware that there are other ways to, to um, deal with that suffering, which is where the necessity for new skills is coming in. AA doesn't teach you skills. It teaches you to fucking pray. And by default, so why is it still skills? in, like, in use? Like, what is the, the they, what in use? Hey, hey, because they shook hands with the devil. They, they, it's, they it's, shook hands with money. They shook hands with the government. Well, listen, it's very practical. Again, if you can send people to free AA meetings at the, you know, as a response in the drug courts, if you can use AA people to come into your recovery and do free meetings, you don't have to pay staff. If you pay staff a lower wage because they are peer recovery coaches, that makes financial sense. And what makes most financial sense is to tell you, oh, don't ever use that drug again. Oh, what? He relapsed. Oh, he needs more treatment. Come back and I, we need uh, more six figures. So like... At the program where Kyle and I worked at, so like I'm just interested to see your view. Personally, there was no accountability placed on the uh, the patients. So you could basically come in with a dirty screen every single day, wow. every month, every year, and you're still going to get your methadone or your suboxone, whatever you're on. So That's like, where liberal. do you stand with with that? Like, how, how do you think that should be handled? Because to me, I wasn't very fond of that. People would be on like 150, like that seems too high. Like, how are you even functioning in the world? Like what? They would be like, on 150 of methadone? Yeah. What were you okay with? Why are you on such a high dosage for such a long period of time? Oh, right. That's, we, I do not know. I'm not well-versed in methadone treatment, but I will say Again, we have this idea that D.D. Stout will tell you, if you're on an antidepressant, nobody tells you how to get off. Nobody has factored in that you actually could possibly wean yourself off. They do this all the time in Finland with the Sinclair method in the use of naltrexone. Like naltrexone, you use it when you drink and then you don't use it. So we just, our healthcare model says, oh, well, you have a blood pressure pill. Well, yeah, there's things you could do about it. You're probably gonna need it the rest of your life. Oh, you need insulin? Well, yeah, you'll probably need it for the rest of your life unless you do other things. Same thing with methadone. Like if, okay, we think you need methadone if you don't change other things in your life. So that there's one of that, but there's also funding for giving methadone. And there's also, I'm really glad that they allowed them to use other substances because otherwise people would be failing out and dying. On top of it, if you look at it, like 
these clinics that do methadone and suboxone that do not fail you out when you come in with a uh, a negative or a positive drug screen, guess what? 12 step will kick you out of treatment when you have nowhere to go. Um, right. your, your, your fellowship will remove you if you're using, but guess what? At least we have eyes on the person that's struggling. At least the, the methadone, when it builds up in their system, makes it makes them uh, more like less acceptable to overdose, you know, like, and then this person is coming into your clinic every day. So maybe there's a chance that we can reach out to one day, like they reach back right. and we're able to help them. But it's just like, I got, I had to get out of the thought process, the thought process of when are you going to get off it? You know, because that's none of my business. Like it's well, none of my business. It's well, it seems like it's literally it too high to be functioning as a functioning person to the point where it almost seems like the methadone so is you- now the addiction. And I think that's where I was kind of like a little like, well, this seems a bit much. Like you come in every single day, you're dosing at such a high dosage. You're coming in with dirty screens right. because the methadone is kind of blocking out what the, you know, the drug usage can do. It's almost like a, a cocktail for like disaster. I would ask them if they, if they are feeling comfortable on the dose that they're on. You know, I was on seven psych medications and not one person suggested to me I was over medicated do you know the only one that they were worried about though was the benzodiazepine you know because that one they had to limit the rest of them nobody was talking about getting me off of those and and I would much prefer somebody you know high off methadone safely than in the streets getting something mixed with fentanyl the other thing that I want to just re- reflect on there is if you look at the, ho- the, the sort of the carceral hospitalization that we have for psychiatry, uh, many of those folks are dosed up high too. The goal in an acute, an acute state is to, you know, get somebody back on track. The, the methadone, we're so versed in the maintenance that they might, I, I guess I would ask, you know, what their client load is and, and how many clients per doctor and how closely and you know what's the investment of the people working there in terms of are they even interested in reducing this person's dose is the person even interested in reducing the dose we don't have those conversations because we believe if they go off they will die they're going to die someday i have news for you guys like we are all going to die someday unfortunately how do we want to live you know i personally would not want to be built up on on um, methadone all day. However, if I have untreated trauma, I'm going to go for anything I can to disassociate because my nervous system is on fire and it's screaming and it can't sit still. Sorry, I give you a lot of different answers. No, this has been, I'll tell you what, this has been a much needed conversation. I would like to have more of these where we all, like this was, I, yeah. I yeah, I would love it. to be on your podcast too. Yay! We'll do a fun like group podcast. Yeah, this there has been is. really fun and great to listen to. Great uh conversation, nice adulting. You know, and it's good to talk about it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity because for seven years I I needed to be silent and I was coerced into things that were against my ethics professionally, but also. I had to really reevaluate what my own values were because everything they were asking me to do was against my core values. Nobody's going to survive in a program if it's against their internal values, but 
do we get taught to know what our values are? No, we do not because we're taught to be on autopilot, be consumers, be quiet. I mean, opiate of the masses, come on. Yeah, I, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I just was really feeling like I was, um, you know, caught in that, what, you know, what, what you just described. And it just wasn't a very good feeling, you know, because right. I was like, well, if this is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, I should might as well just go back to drinking. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Fun. <laughs> but, you know, since I realized that there's other ways, I'm like, oh, well, shoot, I still don't have to go back to drinking. I can just, you know, like there's other there's just other ways of thinking. And I appreciate that because it takes a lot of courage to be different. And, you know, it just takes one of us and then there's two of us and then there's three of us. And then there's a whole lot of people have many different ideas and hopefully we can, you know, take the, you know, take or leave the ones that we like and, and don't like. Here's a little secret about all of this. We already know what to do. We already have done what we've needed to do to survive. It probably wasn't the best choice. It wasn't healthy, but it was the best choice that we had at the time. And we made that choice based on our need for survival. If you have that going for you already, this is not undoable. This is 100% achievable, not because you're trying harder, not because you're doing it good enough, but only if you find a way that works for you, only. And the skills that you have, the defects that you had, go make a list of them and make a list. And next one, I want you to write one thing that each of those have done to benefit you. I'm going to do that. Because you will start to see where you really have, it looks like you've been fucking up on the outside, but you've been hiding and protecting a lot of people. That way of being programmed will make you like, force you to acknowledge how worthless you are and that is the worst thing to do like you're forcing you you when i come in the door you want me to admit that i'm powerless and i have to give my reign over to this person that i don't even know of you know you know what you've been given that reign over to people that have harmed you your entire life you do not at that time is over the time for taking care of yourself you've been taking care of yourself Now we just want to fine tune it and tweak it so that you don't harm yourself quite as much today as you did yesterday and and build that skill and build that muscle and build that neuroplasticity and get new experiences and meet new people and find support and find community. You can do that anywhere. In fact, I just watched just a rival show and I was thinking I would make up like my entire, like I would have a tea party with my imaginary friends if I was surviving one-on-one by myself because I can do that now. Those are assets. Pull in your ancestors into your brain. Pull in this, you know, your auntie who always supported you. Somebody who gave you unconditional love. Do you know how good that is for your brain? That's so nourishing. I enjoyed this conversation, Lori. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. Same. It was very much needed for me. Diamond, it was so nice to meet all of you, Heather, Diamond, and Kyle. You want to sell us out, Heather? Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to our podcast tonight. I 
thoroughly enjoyed this. Those of you who might not know this, um, I, I uh, am a toddler mom. So any chance I get at having adult conversation is, and this was just really nice cream in the crop. So Lori, thank you again for um, uh, having this space with us and, you know, speaking your truth. And for those of you who want to follow her, you can um, follow Lori at www.cloudedcompass.com. Clouded Compass is spelt C-L-O-U-D-E-D-C-O-M-P-A-S-S, just the way it's normally spelt. Also, her book, um, you can get off of Amazon. It's called Life Hacks, Tips and Tricks to Access Your Inner Resilience. I think I'm going to go order me a copy. And then I also see where you said Clouded Compass 2021. Is that your TikTok? I think it is my my TikTok. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. I have a few videos. I haven't dabbled in there much. Okay. Well, Hey, that's awesome. Any way people can get access to you because you're just like a ball of sunshine and I really <laughs> like all the I things. Know, that you I say. Love it. Yeah. I love it too. But but life hacks is about, um, mostly about shame. Uh, three principles is a uh, spiritual philosophy that I follow, but that's about sort of like that, just not good enough feeling and the trauma survivor that I don't really call trauma. Diamond says that she's on your website now and she's going to send all of uh, all my trauma-informed care people. Oh, that's so awesome. Oh, Diamond, thank you. And I have a whole list of resources on there for non-AA recovery. Oh, I am going to go look at this myself. Too. I, and you know what? I'm going to provide all of the links for this in um, this podcast description as well so people can find it very easily. If I helped one person, I did my job. Thanks. I agree. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a good night. Bye. Have a good night, everyone.